Hi, and welcome to the State of Talk podcast, brought to you by the International Society for Conversation Analysis. I'm Saul Albert, a researcher at Loughborough University, and for this podcast, I had the pleasure of doing a data session with Anita Pomerantz, Professor Emerita in the Department of Communication at the State University of New York at Albany. Her conversation analytic work on agreeing and disagreeing, seeking and providing information and negotiating responsibility for blameworthy and praiseworthy deeds has been foundational for the field, opening up new areas of basic CA work and shaping the rich field of applied CA, including her own in medical and legal contexts. She served as the chair of the language and social interaction divisions of both the National Communication Association and the International Communication Association, and has recently completed a book with Oxford University Press entitled Asking and Telling in Conversation, which we touch on in our short discussion at the end of this data-focused podcast. This data session format, where we sit down with a scholar and look at some data that they've previously examined, is just one of many formats that we, the ISCA Publications Committee, are currently testing out. Our broader aims with the new website, the social media presence and the forum newsletter is to generate discussion, collaboration and to get people excited about the interactional discoveries that come from our forms of naturalistic inquiry. If you have ideas or you want to participate, please reach out to us at conversationanalysis.org. We'd love your input on what we're building, which we hope is a truly international connection amongst our EM and CA communities. Well, why don't you start by just introducing the data? Tell us what we're going to be listening to. And then I'll play it through once, and then we can start working through it line by line. Okay, sounds good. Uh, this was a recording that was made by one of my students in the mid-1970s. I believe that it was probably on a Friday night based on their interaction. It may be evening, again, based on what they're saying. They're talking about classes and semester break and what they've done in semester break that's later on. They each know enough about the spatial arrangement of the college to know that they belong there. Right. I myself have had my students record one another and it's nice to know that some things haven't changed very much since the 1970s. <laughs> this is still how college buddies talk to each other. That was what was amazing to me when I looked up, uh, when I, that would have been recorded, I said, wow, that is, how could it be 45 years ago and they still talk that way? <laughs> should, we, should we play it? Yes. Okay. Not so much, Jesus, freezing. I know I went to the computer center before. Do my homework. I had to do my homework assignment. Oh, yeah. I went up there, it's freezing cold. The super thing was closed. Tonight? Yes, I thought it was open on Friday night. Oh, well. Yeah, that's what she told me. Like, wow. <laughs> no, no, last semester they kept it open on Friday night. Yeah, well, apparently, uh, time requirements changed, but, uh, my professor didn't even let me know what the hours were. Yeah. Very negligent on his part. He probably doesn't know himself. Yeah, it looks like an idiot. So what you doing? What are you doing tonight? Wait a minute. Let me know. Okay, that's it. Mm -hmm. Do you think you don't need to play it again because they can play it again? Or should you play it again? People like to hear it more than once. A couple of times, yeah. Mm -hmm. I could play it again. Um, I wouldn't mind listening to it again right now, yeah. actually. Okay. Yeah. Not so much. Jesus, freezing. I know I went up to the computer center before. Do my homework. I had to do my homework assignment. Oh, yeah. And I went up there and it's freezing cold. The super thing was closed. Tonight? Yes. I thought it was open on Friday night. Oh, well. Yeah, that's what she told me. Like, well, <laughs> no, no, last semester they kept it open on Friday night. Yeah, well, apparently uh, time requirements changed, but uh, my professor didn't even let me know what the hours were. 
very negligent on his part. He probably doesn't know himself. Yeah, looks like an idiot. So what are you doing? What are you doing? Okay, where should we start? Well, I have written a paper on essentially the part of what we would call Dave's story of going to the computer center. And that's a lot of what we'll talk about. But I think I would like to start further up and go line by line because there's other things I think about, especially based on other work, that's relevant to some other parts of it. So we'll incorporate some of what's in the paper and some of what comes from other thinking. Yeah, sounds good. So the transcript starts with the what's up, and very quickly it moves to Jack's line of, Jesus, it's freezing out. It's freezing. My best guess is that he's just come in from the cold. It sounded like an opening. Yeah. And I have been thinking about Jesus is freezing out. Jesus is freezing out. Because this is not simply a description. It is also a report of a reaction to the weather. Mm. It's a report of a reaction. And to that extent, I want to see it as an assessment. Jesus is freezing out. Right. It's some kind of report of what I've just been experiencing, uh-huh. which is actually how I see assessments anyway. So there's a couple things about that. As people pretty much know, my dissertation was on second assessments, mm-hmm. uh, part of the chapter on agreements and disagreements starts with how assessments are intrinsically to do with knowledge. So this is, if you will, a claim of having experienced or reacted to the freezing weather outside. Right. Jack is making an implicit claim of having that knowledge by -hmm. by offering this uh, remark. It's freezing. But now then it becomes relevant how Jack regards Dave with respect to knowing that as well. Right. All of the second assessments I looked at, the first speaker experienced together mm-hmm. the referent with the second speaker. Right. So they were. Isn't it wonderful out? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, isn't it dreary? Well, yes, but it's warm. Right. So simultaneous experience. Right. They or both have access. Yeah. And even if they've gone to the movies together, it's still simultaneous, and then they talk about it as what they have just experienced. So those second assessments had to do with, this is what I know, and this is what I know you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm saying this, and now I can wait to see whether you agree or disagree. Right. And it's a different organization, as I think I mentioned in footnotes, when I'm going to give an assessment, and I figure you don't have access to that. You yeah. don't have knowledge of that. And then there's d- different possibilities, but let's say one of the strong possibilities is that you show you understand what mm. I have just said. It's terrible out. Oh, I'm so sorry. So you can show your understanding of that. I want to make one other point about this line of Jesus is freezing out. Jesus is freezing out. I would see this as some kind of complaint. It is 
not something which we are joyous about. It's something which was uncomfortable. The Jesus and the freezing, freezing. suggest some level of discomfort. Now for complaints, one of the issues that I've been dealing with probably for my whole career, is this something about which we can talk about what or who is responsible? Right. At this time in the mid-70s, and probably now, mm -hmm. there's a lot of weather talk yeah. for which we do not have to do any kind of what's responsible. Right, yeah, it's nobody's fault that it's freezing outside. I think there's a lot of talk these days where we do talk about what's responsible for climate right, change. Right. And that's a whole interesting matter of how historically what was out there, everybody understood, it's you know beyond mm. anybody's control, is now not that at all. Right. We may you share know. the experience of the weather, but we might have different interpretations about who's to blame. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. So I think those themes of the knowledge claims, epistemics, as well as responsibility run through this segment, actually. Mm. Now, what I think is really neat about Dave's response, I know I went to the computer center before. I know I went to the computer center before. Is for the second assessments that I looked at, Mm -hmm. where people experienced something together or are experiencing something together. Uh -huh. You don't get, I know, you just don't get a claim. I know I went to the computer center before. So now what I take I know to be I know I went to the computer center before is you were assuming in the way you said it that I probably didn't know that mm -hmm. I am an unknowing recipient. And here I want to correct you. Right. But clearly, I know I've the computer center before. It's going back by saying, I'm not who you think I am with respect to knowledge. Right. But it also moves prefacing what I'm going to be saying next. You know, it, it works in two directions. Right. And it's dealing with the assumption that the report, Jesus, it's freezing outside, is made as, is made as a claim of exclusive knowledge or as right. priority. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. yeah. it's freezing. I know I went to the computer center before. Now, I know I went to the computer center before. Intonationally, this is not finished. I know I went to the computer center before. I know is not just saying you got it wrong in terms of my knowledge. It's also saying implicitly, I agree with you. Right. But now if we're going to get something that supports the agreement, I know I went to the computer center before. I know I went to the computer center before. Probably would get and it was freezing, terribly cold, something that would stand in agreement. And we recognize, I went to the computer center before. I know I went to the computer center before. Being, if you will, the context, the backgrounding for what that report will be that's going to match the weather, you know, mm. the weather report. So I'm willing to go forward now yeah so the kind of incompleteness then of i went to the computer center before i know i went to the computer center before it's not finished there so did you want to go further forward than that so to the account about what it is that we're doing at the computer center doing one's homework i know i went to the computer center before do my homework i had to do my homework assignment or are we skipping over that no no we we're not skipping over okay. anything <laughs> <laughs> right 
Uh, I'm just suggesting that for a sequence built for agreement, we would not need, I had to do my homework assignment. Do my homework, I had to do my homework assignment. We wouldn't need that part. What we actually need is, yeah, and boy, was it cold. Right, right, right. I mean, that's what you would need for the matching. Okay, if it was built for agreement, we'd need nothing more than that. Right. Yeah. So now we can look to see, well, what is this guy adding here? Okay. I know I went to the computer center before. Do my homework. I had to do my homework assignment. One of the things about I had to do my homework assignment is that this wasn't a voluntary trip just to see the computer center. It's right. I had to do it. Hmm. What was interesting to me is he didn't first of all say, I know I had to go to the computer center before. It came out as I went to the computer center before. I know I went to the computer center before. Do my homework. I had to do my homework assignment. But now it's being built as a trip that I had to go to, right. had to make. It was business. It was an obligation. It was uh, when we teach, we would like to think is a sacred thing, but we know better. <laughs> yeah. So this is not a voluntary trip into the cold. This is... This was obligatory. Yeah. I had to go outside and now I'm going to be hit by something. Do my homework. I had to do my homework assignment. I guess I would like to hear the oh yeah from uh, Jack. I had to do my homework assignment. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think this is something that Jack has heard before. Oh yeah. Knows about. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah something I know. You're telling me something I know. Right. I, I recall I know this already. Oh, yeah. So I think that's particularly lovely for what is going on here. Dave may be not just building I had to do my homework assignment as obligatory, but as something we've talked about before. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So can we go a little bit further to what happens? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I went up there in freezing cold. It was close. I think the two H's, the, and I went up there. I went up there. To me, sounds like a laughter of some sort. Um, finally, we get the freezing cold, which, of course, matches. Uh, I know, and it was freezing out. You know, Jesus, mm -hmm. it was freezing out. And here, the, and it was freezing cold. It was freezing. I know I went up to the computer center before. Do my homework. I had to do my homework assignment. Oh, yeah. And I went up there in freezing cold. So we have what looks like a story that could have been purely the agreement that was promised mm -hmm. with I know. But that's not the only reason it's being built or the primary reason it's being built. It's being built for the difficulty, the discomfort that was experienced and how it led to the stupid thing was closed. Mm -hmm. I went up there in freezing cold, the stupid thing was closed. But we are getting both in that bit of laughter and the stupid thing was closed. Clearly it was an unhappy experience. Yeah. I don't know how to go beyond that. And I was pissed. The stupid thing was closed. Tonight? More explicitly reports a reaction. I had analyze this in the paper mm -hmm. in terms of responsibility. Right. Where there is no agent who's responsible, but there is something which is being blamed at this point a little bit, and that's the stupid computer center. Stupid thing was closed. Right. 
But that's very implicit. In the paper, I said, there's no agent here in the same way as you took it versus it's missing. Mm. So the stupid thing was closed. It was in a quote. Even in terms of the grammatical uh, structure. Yeah. It's not, I got there and they closed it. Yeah. That's, oh, why'd they close it? You know, when they saw you, did they close it? Right. So this is a passive construction. It was closed. It was in a quote. So it was closed. It was in a quote. I'm going back to that kind of passive formulation, which is just, used so much. The one that I like from the paper is Little Cat's Been Eating Pudding. Now that one looks like it is an act of the little cat is to blame. Mm. Um, You probably know it from the paper. Uh, But little cats don't go into the refrigerator and get out the pudding and put it in their dishes. So that's why they can't be the agent in the same way. So that's where I went with this in terms of do we have an agent that has if you will, being designated with, let's call it a verb, you know, an Mm -hmm. action. And here, the was closed. It could have been absolutely normal for the stupid thing, the computer center, to be closed at that time. The emphasis here is on closed. Yeah, right. Dave is saying, well, in case you didn't get it, I was pissed. I was pissed, (laughs) right, okay. If If we can listen again to tonight. Tonight? I want to see if I can capture the difference between the tonight and the intonation with I thought it was open Friday night. Okay. Tonight? What I'm hearing is Jack saying, that's totally a surprise to me. Yeah. Tonight? Tonight? What's the basis of the surprise for him? And what is he going to convey about it? Right. We don't yet know that Jack told Dave in terms of listening to the story. Mm -hmm. But of course, Dave knows perfectly well that Jack told him it was open. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's part of the analysis. If Dave knows that Jack told him that the computer center was open Friday night, and if Dave now is going to tell this story where it was really, really uncomfortable, the question is, Is he going to be relying on Jack recognizing that he's the one who told him to go up there? Right. So we're talking now about a different kind of knowledge organization where I know something that you told me, but I'm not going to say it, and I want you to recognize that you told it to me. Mm -hmm. Personally, I don't know any of the regular literature on epistemics that's come out talking about that kind of beautiful complication of I want you to recognize something that I don't want to say yet. So this is putting the onus on Jack to recognize the complaint in its making. To recognize how he's implicated in it Mm -hmm. without it being specified. Right. And that's why the name of the article that I wrote, which was on blaming, Mm -hmm. uh, was actually wrong. It's on avoiding an explicit blaming. Mm. Gail told me once that there was some jewelry and it, w- it went missing. And the question is, who took it? How mm-hmm. did it go missing? So the announcement was, you know, I put some jewelry there and it's, no, it's, not, it's not there anymore. Kind of deferred accusation. Yeah. 
It's like I'm not making an accusation, but I've reported in the paper, I call it an unhappy outcome, mm -hmm. where you can recognize not only the outcome, but did you have anything to do with it happening? But I'm building it and saying it to you, knowing that you should recognize it and come up with the first version of, oh, I just took it for five minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm telling a story without revealing to someone who I know knows something that I don't want to say. Yeah, because in the case of the jewellery, the uh, announcement of its being missing in the presence of the person suspected of taking it, yeah. the ideal outcome is that it simply reappears and nothing need ever be said. Yeah, yeah. Or I moved it to clean and I forgot to put it back. Right. You know, so there could be other accounts, but certainly yeah. it could just appear and nobody ever says anything. Tonight? I thought it was open on Friday night. Oh, well. Yeah, that's what she told me. <laughs> no, no, last semester it was open Friday night. <laughs> so now we get something that looks more like an accusation. Before, we didn't have an accusation. We didn't have him being held responsible. But here we have, that's what you told me in terms of you now told it to me, you misinformed me. I thought it was open on Friday night. Oh, well. Yeah, that's what she told me. <laughs> no, no, last semester they kept it open on Friday night. Right, and it's built on an agreement. So Dave's got into the position where Jack's reiterated what he said to Dave. That and it was there, open. Yeah, I, I thought it was open. I thought it was open on Friday night. Oh, well. Yeah, that's what she told me. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's what you told me. Yes, it's right. built for Jack's line. I thought it was open Friday night. The thanks a lot almost makes it sound like you did it on purpose. If there's anything in here that always tickled me, struck me, puzzled me, <laughs> it's that. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear that a couple of times. I don't know if the ha is mitigation or something else. It's sarcastic. Thanks yeah. a lot is sarcastic, and the laughter is sarcastic laughter. It's implying, if you go along that line, that you did it on purpose. Thanks a lot. Let's say somebody trips you, but accidentally. You turn around and say, thanks a lot. You're acting as if it's not accidental. Right. Oh, well, isn't really an apology. It wasn't an apology. It was like, no big deal. Yeah. Okay, I misinformed you. Oh, well, it says we don't have to deal with this. It's finished. And that's what Dave is not letting go. He hasn't gotten to what he wanted to get to, which is specifically, you told me that and you caused discomfort. And mm -hmm. I want you to deal with that. I thought it was open on Friday night. Oh, well. Yeah, that's what she told me. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, last semester they kept it open on Friday night. So with that kind of sarcasm implicating, don't write it off, this was really annoying, hmm. Jack then has to come up with a version of how he told him for which he has less culpability. I thought it was open on Friday night. Oh, well. Yeah, that's what she told me. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, last semester they kept it open on Friday night. Again, it was not an intentional, uh, I made you suffer. It was an honest mistake. Mm -hmm. So that's where they're at. Once 
Jack does the no, no, last semester they kept it open. No, no, last semester they kept it open on Friday night. Yeah, well, apparently uh, time requirements changed, but uh, my professor didn't even let me know what the hours were. Okay, so we have last semester they kept it open on Friday night as Jack's denying that it was an intentional misinforming. And, yeah, well, apparently time requirements have changed, but uh, I think what's fun is Dave is perfectly prepared to leave Jack alone hmm. and move to the professor. And now what the professor is being blamed for, because he's a professor, is the professor should have been responsible and failed to even let him know what the hours were. My professor didn't even let me know what the hours were. So we are now blaming the professor hmm. instead of his friend, his buddy. And not only is the offense named very negligent on his part, I must say. Hmm. So Dave now is doing a pretty big shift of who I want to blame. Yeah. My professor didn't even let me know what the hours were. Yeah. Very negligent on his part. He probably doesn't know himself. And Jack has defended he probably doesn't know himself because that was Jack's problem and Jack's defense. I didn't know because it was different before. So his own defense he now uses for the professor and Dave... Probably doesn't know himself. He looks like an idiot. I don't even know what to say about he looks like an idiot. <laughs> so there you have it. Yeah. Well, it's always the professor's fault. Yeah. That's the, the moral of <laughs> but he story. looks like an idiot anyway, so. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. So we've done so, this. What fun. Yeah, we've done this. Yeah. And it, it's a really lovely illustration, your description of this piece of data as a kind of beautiful complication. And I'm curious to know what you think. I mean, this is, I suppose, uh, also relating to the way in which assessments became so central to the formation of the, the discourse and the literature on epistemics, where some of the first papers on epistemics were really naming um, preference organization in second assessments as exposing claims oh. of knowledge and ownership that could be contested. Is this about epistemics? Is that what we're dealing with here? Or are there other kind of family resemblances to blame to accountability, or are these labels even useful? Uh, probably from my earliest papers onward, the issue of who knows what or how, what I know and what you don't know or what I do know or what I expect you to know uh, is quite important for the practices I looked at. Sometimes, for sure, the issue of what I know and what you know for experts talking uh, may be quite central, but very often the business is something else. Uh, what they're after, uh, what the course of action is, isn't just to show our knowledge to each other. Uh, that may be a byproduct. So I am concerned these days at the popular topics preference, I'll put that in there. I don't know what to do with any of that when they become big topics as if that's what we study, as opposed to 
the everyday actions and how they're done and the sense making that's done. I mean, to go back to the fundamentals of CA and ethnomethodology. I guess that's one of the questions I had about your, you know, your uh, stated aim to bring those two together or to always have EM and CA. And <clears throat> it is still active amongst earlier career scholars and in, in the current discourse that people posit them as, as different, as drifting apart, as based on the same foundation but no longer associated. And sometimes people will use labels um, and you're, for better or for worse, responsible for some of those. Preference organization, I think, is one of them. And, you know, the, the notion of uh, assessments as um, a sequence that can be considered an adjacency pair with first and second assessments. And I've heard you warn people off using those labels. How, yeah. how, how does it, I suppose, how does it feel to be responsible for the terminology and yet have to fight against its use in a way? Well, people do pick up what they want to pick up, so I don't feel responsible for what other people have done. But if I'm talking with someone or in the classroom, I feel a responsibility to convey my current thinking. Right. So in the paper, and also more recently in the book that I wrote, I talk about assessments as not actions but some material out of which we perform actions. And I would probably stick with that, you know. Uh, we need to talk about actions and how actions are coordinated and what people are doing. And, you know, I, for the longest time, I fought against the way people talk about questions mm -hmm. because I thought it was confusing. You know, are you talking about seeking information? Are you talking about making a request? What are you talking about? It's a form. And yet people were using it for both the action and the form. But I found that I, that's a losing battle. I can't change the world. <laughs> They're going to say what they want to say. Right. In the book that, you're, that you've just finished, Asking and Telling, tell me a little more about that and what you've, what you've wanted to revisit with that book. I picked uh, nine of my papers, all of which had to do with some form of asking or telling or reporting. And uh, part of the issue was sometimes we think of telling as providing information, mm -hmm. but it's also giving your reactions. So assessments go right in there. So I included those papers too. And the reason it's not just a book of previously published papers, but something a little better, more interesting than that is for each paper, I wrote a very short thing having to do with uh, what was sort of the driving force or main questions. But more importantly, at the end of each one, it's what do I think of this stuff now? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about mm -hmm. 40, 50 years later for some of it. Do I still, how do I regard it? And, you know, I don't mind being critical of my own work because that's the nature of science. The book is nine papers with my critique or comments on each one, and then a wrap-up chapter which says, how do these things all relate to it? And the name of, uh, I'm relating to something you said before, the name of the book was going to be, I still had it in my notes, The Complexities of Asking and Telling. But publishers like short and simple <laughs> titles. 
so it became asking and telling, and they didn't want just asking and telling. We compromised in interaction, I think. So that's what it is. I mean, it's not all new stuff because it's my papers, but hopefully my comments on it will be interesting to some people. Right. Because this has been quite a data-focused mm -hmm. uh, session, would you offer any tips or advice for um, analysts who might want to get their head into, into data, what you do, how you approach it, what you would recommend? I like to work with single instances and then have some ideas and look for other instances of it. I know other people get collections to begin with, but I'm not sure once you try to get a collection to begin with, you will have multiple different phenomena in it. So that's a problem. I mean, without being able to work with the specific interaction in front of you, you have lost sort of getting into something. The problem is that we were talking about Dave and Jack, but there is a next step too, and that is what are the practices being used by them that they have not invented as such. Of course, there's a lot of contingencies that go on, et cetera, but we are not simply talking about Dave and Jack here. And so that transition is hard for people. Sometimes they solve it by working with a big collection and seeing similarities. Other times you start working with an instance, you know, particulars, and you don't know how to go further. And in this amount of time, I can't come up with suggestions. <laughs> That's fine. Then I'd just like to really thank you for taking time to have a data session with me. I really enjoyed it. So thanks, thanks for sharing the data and thank you for giving us an insight into how you approach things line by line. It's, it's wonderful to see. Thank you, Saul. This has been delightful for me too. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks so much, Nita. Yeah. Bye.